Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Hey, before they walk off the stage, give them a big thank you for leading us in worship. I'm going to tell you something real quick. I want you to give yourself a big round of applause. Y'all sounded amazing this morning singing, so why don't you give yourself a big round of applause? We're going to welcome, that was like half-hearted for yourselves. That was like, yeah, you didn't hear me sing really good, Pastor Bobby, so no. Great time. It's great and exciting what we're going to be doing today in a few minutes. I believe what I've heard is we're going to have somewhere around 35 baptisms between both of the campuses, and so it's exciting. Um, Just to give you a kind of really cool like I think uh, the first couple of years we baptized maybe one or two the whole the whole time we you know down at Sherwood which is our South Augusta campus. Today we're baptizing nine people just at the Sherwood campus, and so that's it's amazing what's going on down there. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to do that at the end of service. We're going to worship a little bit more together, but we're going to listen to God's word. We're going to wrap this series, this NL, um, NIL series, which is uh, uh, name, image, and likeness. And something happened this week that was kind of interesting to me. But I got a, a message from a friend of mine and asked me didn't you used to coach? And I said, yeah, I I coached for years. I coached soccer. I helped coach golf uh, at Columbia Middle School for a little while with Coach Kramer. Um, But soccer was my big guy. I love coaching soccer and, and girls softball. And he goes, oh, I thought so. And I said, well, why? And he was like, radio silence. Like he, he ghosted me. Like you asked me a question, I'm giving you an answer. The next morning I get this picture and I want you to see this picture. It's going to be on the side screen. So he was walking up, I guess over there by Blanchard Park. And he goes, hey, your name is the very first one up there. And I'm like, yeah, I was the coach of the U whatever it was. Well, U12 state champions. Do you hear me on that? State champions. Now, there's so many. Let me say it one more time. State champions. And so it was exciting. I I coached a a bunch of girls. Um, We went to regionals, then we went to Athens, and we won. It was exciting. But but I forgot that. Can you put the picture back up there? I don't get to see it very often. I don't get over that side of town. We're going to leave it. We may leave it up there the whole message. So, So up there. But but I, and, and there's so many fond memories because I remember each one of these girls and some of these girls actually are, have grown and been married now. And, but there's the one on the bottom left. You see that one right there, that bottom left one? That's my daughter, Lindsay Smith. And there's, there's parts of it that are like, man, it, my, my neck swells up just thinking, I loved coaching, but I loved coaching my kids. But then it was a part of it. And I thought to myself, was I harder on her than the other girls? Probably, right? Because that's what dads do. You know, was it harder? Were they harder on her because she was the coach's daughter? And maybe they thought that she got special privileges. And then it led me down the road. Like, and not that she was like an elite athlete, but like there's a lot of elite athletes right now that we're seeing their sons grow up or their, their kids grow up and become other great elite. Like I was thinking about um, Tiger Woods' son, Charlie. Like, like he's 15 years old and he had a really bad tournament this past week, but man, this kid's done things that like most normal golf, like he went 68, 68, 69, 70 in a tournament and 15 or 14 years old and ended up winning a division in Florida. I'm like, wow. Uh, And then I was thinking about Bronny, um, Bronny James, uh, LeBron James's son. And I was thinking like, man, he's, he's following his dad's footsteps and and then I was thinking, there was, there was another one, Shadir, Shadir, is that who said? Shadir uh, Sanders, uh, Deion Sanders' son. And I was just thinking like, but this is where my mind went. I was like, I wonder if they were hard on their kids too. And I wonder because of their name, their image, 
and their likeness if they were treated differently? What, what, was there a higher expectation on them to become elite athletes or were they just allowed to do whatever? And I, I have a feeling they were, they were treated differently. I have a feeling they were pressured and pushed and, and prodded to be the best they could possibly be. And then it kind of flooded my thoughts that sometimes we go into this God relationship with some of those same things and we think that our heavenly father's hard on us, that he's gonna reprimand us for everything we do wrong and we're never gonna make a mistake and the expectation is that we're perfect and that's just not the way it is. And if there's something that I've learned about being a faith follower in Jesus Christ is I don't have to be perfect. He expects, the expectation is that I am gonna fail, that I am gonna make mistakes and that's why we need the blood of Jesus. You know what the only expectation he has for our lives? That we would live in his name and his image and his likeness, that we would tell the world about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to wrap this series up and I'm going to talk about kind of two things today. But the first thing is, and and this happens a lot. We, we talk a lot about the expectation or what God, God's, you know, what does he think about us? What does he say about us? But you know, today I want to, I'm going to land in a place that I've never heard anybody talk about. And it's what God doesn't see in us. The things that God looks at when he looks at us, he doesn't see this thing. He doesn't see that thing. And we're going to look at a story, but last week or two weeks ago when I spoke, I talked about how we see ourselves so many times in the name, image, and likeness of what we used to be, our past, way back here. And we know, because we looked at that week one, that that's not how God sees us. But sometimes what we see is our past sins, our past failures. Anybody have any of those? Right? And sometimes we live it, and when they pop up again, when somehow or another, when it comes crashing in on us, we go, I just knew I was going to be, that's my name, that's my image, that's my likeness. And so we just go, we revert back to that. Or maybe it's, sometimes it's our past relationships that we, we, we feel like we can never move forward because of this past failed relationship that I had. Or maybe it's because of something, you know, and I was having a great conversation with somebody earlier today, and they, they, were, they were asking a question about education. And they said, you know something, God could never use me because of my lack of education. I'm going, stop. Do you know none of these people in the Bible went to college? Did you ever think about that? Now, they were, they were studied, they were, they were scribes and Pharisees, and they were smart, but they didn't go to the University of Georgia, but that's where they would have went if they were able to go to a school, but... But the University of Georgia, right? Or sometimes, sometimes, just be honest, what holds us back, that NIL of our past is our upbringing or who we were born to, maybe the dysfunctional family we grew up in. But here's what I, I want, and maybe you don't hear anything else today, hear this one thing, God doesn't see any of those. God doesn't see any of the things. Once you ask Christ to be your savior, the Bible says he makes us a brand new creation. The old is gone, a new come. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I believe. But it's one of those deals. That's what God sees in us. And today what I'd like to do, I'd like to look at a character in the Bible that messed up. And that's what makes it such a beautiful story. It's a, it's, a, it's a guy that messed up multiple times in his life, but somehow or another he kept coming back to Christ or coming back to God. But I want to take a look at his start, where it all got started, how it got started. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I need you to do me a favor. If you have an analog Bible, I want you to turn there and I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to read a lot of scripture and then I'm going to backfill the whole story in, okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's the story of David. It's before he's King David. As a matter of fact, this is the moment where he's he's getting ready to be anointed as king. He says, now the Lord said to Samuel... You have mourned long enough for Saul. Saul was the king at the time. There was this uh, change, the exchanging of the guards or changing of the guards getting ready to happen. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I selected one of his sons to be the king. 
But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a, take a heifer with you, he says. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. In verse thir- uh, three, it says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons that you will anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he uh, arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourself and come in uh, with me to sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the, the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, isn't it funny? He did the same thing that so many of us do at times. We look at somebody, they, they're good looking, they're dressed well. Maybe, maybe, maybe they got a good physique and we go, surely this is the one. This one right, whoa, that's the one right here. And it says, so he took Eliab there and sure this is the anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. And then he says this, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? You're going to want to underline that in your analog Bible. If you're on U version right now, you can actually tap it and it'll highlight in your Bible. I want you to highlight because that's really, really important to today's, to just the, the rest of the day. So it says, then Jesse told him, he said, um, um, go, go to my son, um, Abe. To step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse went to Shimea, but Samuel said, nope, neither is he the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Now, I don't know what's going on with Samuel right now and what's going on with with Jesse, but Jesse's got to be going. You know something? I just gave you my best. This is the best that I have right here. These seven sons are their, their rock stars. They're, 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 they're physicians. They're, they're warriors. They're, they're the best of the best. And you don't want any of them. So, so, so Jesse goes through every stall. That, and then listen to what Samuel says to him. After he went through these seven, Samuel goes, there's something missing here. And he goes, he goes then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? And then he said, no, there's still one. Now, r- r- read the voice inflection in this one. There's still one. He's out there in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Sam goes, send for him once, uh, at once. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome and, and with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought to, uh, and, and anointed David with the oil and his spirit. And the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel Return to Rama. Could you imagine the scene? Jesse's bringing out his best, his, his best seven sons, and he's going, nope, 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 not that one, not that one either. You keep bringing the ones that you want, but I'm telling you, there's one more. And he goes, well, well I do have one more, but he's way out in the field. And, and you know what he was saying? This is exactly what Jesse was saying. And, and I want you to get this because this is what God doesn't see in us. God doesn't see you as unnecessary. He sees you necessary. He doesn't see you. Jesse was literally seeing his own son, David, as unnecessary. He wasn't needing needing this equation. Um, I used to coach a girl's softball. I don't have any trophies like that picture that they can put back up if they want to. (laughs) But um, I had a girl on my team. And she was amazing. This was like a U10 or U11 team or U12 team. And she threw faster and harder than I've ever seen anybody ever throw as far as softball. And she would get up there. And I remember the first game, um, 16 strikeouts. 
Like it was just, and the team, the other team was just like, so this went on three or four times and I, I don't even think she ever, nobody ever got a hit on her the whole year. I think she walked a couple, but she, she just threw, threw so, so hard. Well, I was sitting there one day and I, I was walking um, from the dugout and there was another girl that was warming up. And in Little League, I guess it's still the same way now, but in Little League, you can only pitch so many innings in a week. And so they can only pitch six innings a week. So a girl, one of the girls, the first baseman comes over and says, hey, Mr. Bobby, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. They said, is so-and-so pitching today? And I said, no. And she said, good. I went, what do you mean good? She goes, well, maybe we can get a little bit, you know, like a ball hit to us or something today. And you know what she was saying? She was saying, I feel unnecessary. And I didn't realize it, that when that girl was pitching, nobody else on that team, they could have literally sat in the dugout and nothing would have had, there was, there was no way anybody was, she was that dominant. But it makes me think, is there times in our lives that we feel unnecessary? That we feel like that David out in the, out, out, the, the shepherd boy out in the field, just doing well, you know, whatever he was doing. And, 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 and I, I know that in my own personal life, there's many a times you may think that you're unnecessary because you may see, you may see your limitations. You may see your failures. Your boss may see those and you feel like there's no way I'm, 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 I'm unnecessary because of these things that I have in my life. Your parents may have seen them. Your ex may have seen them. Right? Your, your kids may see them. But you know who doesn't see them? Your limitations? Your heavenly father. Exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. That's what he says he'll do in our lives. He says, I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you life to the fullest. That doesn't sound like a life of being unnecessary. That sounds like a life of fulfillment. God doesn't see you as others see you. And let, me, let me throw this out. And God doesn't see you the way you see you sometimes. God sees through the, these lenses with his unlimited knowledge and unlimited wisdom. He sees you as you really are and he sees you for what you, you can become. Can I say that again? He sees you what, for what you are right now, but he sees what you can become. He knows, that's what Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you. I have great stuff. I know the plans. I know the, not you. You may have walked your course in this life, but God knows your plans and where you're ultimately going to be. And you know what? All, all of scripture is loaded with these people that by earthly standards had limitations, but somehow or another, God used them. Do you remember he chose Abraham who lied about his wife's identity, by the way, and then had, had an affair with, with his, 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 one of his servants and ended up having a child that was illegitimate. It was a child. It wasn't the promise, but God still used him. Do you ever think about that? How about this one? God chose Moses, right? Did you know he was slow to speech? He had a, he had a speech problem. He literally says, I, I stuttered, God. I, how can you send me? I, I, can't even, I, can't even put, I can't even put words together. How can you send? But God used him. How about, how about Noah? Do you ever think about Noah? Do you know Noah had a problem? But good chance he was an alcoholic. And I'm not joking about this. After they get up, the flood's all over. The, the, the boys, the boys have to, Shimham and Japheth have to hide him because he's running around the streets naked. Now, I know that's fine for some of you, <laughs> not at church. But he was drunk. They had to hide him away. But did God, God used him, right? In limitations and all, I can go down the list. Rahab, read the story of Rahab sometime. Rahab was a, pro, a prostitute. Then in the New Testament, he chooses tax collectors, right? And he chooses fishermen. And we all know they lie. 
right? And so he chooses all. And then think about this. You want to talk about the, the most major limitation? Who does the birth of the Savior come through? A young teenage girl with every limitation that you could possibly imagine, yet God still used her. See, God don't, doesn't see what we see. He can use anyone who's willing to surrender their plan for their lives. Listen, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians. I love this. It's, it's, it's in chapter 1, verse 27. It says, instead, God chose, chose things that the world considers. Can you, everybody just say that word. Foolish. Thank you. A little late to the game. But good. He chooses foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who have power. He uses people with limitations is what that passage is saying. With all kinds of limitations. See, God can use anyone. Who does that include? Who does it include that God can use? I was thinking about, and I mentioned his name a couple weeks ago. His name was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was part of the Watergate crisis with G. Gordon Liddy and, and Richard Nixon. And he ends up getting arrested. He absolutely overturns the whole government. And he's, he's, he's the most despised person in the government at that particular time. He's being sentenced to go to jail. And before he goes to jail, he asks Christ to be his savior. He finds Jesus or Jesus finds him. And all of a sudden, everything changes in his life. And all of a sudden, he goes from the worst and the most notorious person in American politics to most beloved. And he starts a thing called prison fellowship. And he's leading people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. He could have used his limitation and, and, and as an excuse, right? I, I, God can never use me. Then he leads one guy. His name is Bob McAllister. He leads Bob McAllister to Christ at Columbia State Penitentiary. He leads him to Christ, and he goes on to preach to hundreds of thousands of people. And one of those people that was in a, a prison cell, a, life, a lifer in there, death row inmate, his name was Rusty Walmer. Rusty Walmer asked Christ to be his savior and turns that Columbia County or Columbia prison upside down with Jesus. You, you, tell, you tell Rusty about Chuck Colson's limitations. You tell Bob McAllister, who led Rusty to Christ, about Chuck Colson's limit, limitations. God can use anybody. See, there's no one, there's no one, there's no one. I've said it a bazillion times in this place. You have never looked in the eyes of someone that Jesus doesn't love and died for. Somebody say amen to that. That includes the person that you may be tempted to despise. The person that you see bad to the core, you know I'm talking about, right? That neighbor, right? The HOA president. I'm just kidding. There's a couple of them in go to church here. That coworker that you just can't stand being around. That boss, that relative. You know who else that includes that God can use anybody? You. You, you're on that list. You may think that God can never use you, but he wants to use you right where you're at. You're not, un no one, no one is unnecessary. When Jesse is talking to, to, to Samuel, he's, it's almost like, you can, like just write it in the subscript. He's, he's going, listen, I've got all these other sons and they're necessary, but the guy out there that's the shepherd boy is unnecessary. He, 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 he can't do anything. We, you know what? We see it one chapter later. You know what one chapter later is? It's the story of Goliath. And I love the way I say that, 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 that David walks up and he's carrying a charcuterie tray. He's got, he's got some jam preserves over here and he's got some cheese. And he's, got a, he's there to feed them. L listen to what his brother says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the man, he was angry. 
He said, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded, what about those few sheep? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how people make excuses for somebody stepping up? Did you all hear that? You know why Eliab's mad? Because he didn't do anything. He goes, go back to your sheep. What are you doing around here, Dean? What are, what are the few you're, you're supposed to be taking care of? And he goes this, I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. You know what he's saying right there? You know the car accident that you stop and look at when you're driving by? And you want to see, you don't want anybody to die, but you want to see a little bit of blood? No? Okay, let's use a different. You know the hockey game you go to? You go to see a fight, right? How many people? I go to a hockey I mean, I go, to a, I, go, I go to a fight to see hockey break out. <laughs> but it's one of those, that's what he's saying. You're only here because you want to see what's going on. You know what he was saying to him? You're unnecessary. Go back and work the sheep. Thank, thanks for the charcuterie tray, but go back and work the sheep now. In God's eyes, you're not unnecessary. He doesn't leave you out. There's something you can do for him. And there's a contribution that you can make. Which leads me to the second thing that God doesn't see in us. God doesn't see you or me, as having any limitations. Now, I want you to notice this, okay? We'll talk about both sides of this for a second. Verse 11 says, Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? I, I don't know that I would have described my son like this. No, I have David who is out there tending sheep. But Jesse specifically used this line, There is still the youngest. There's still the youngest. And he says, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. They said, send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome and beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one who anoint him. So that David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of oil. He put it over and he poured it over top of him. He had brought the, and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from, the, from that day on. Now, did you notice what I was pointing out? Like, underline this. I got my youngest one. I got the one over here. You know one of the biggest and worst things that happens in the church? Age discrimination. We say because you're too young, you can't do anything. Or you're too old, you can't do anything. And, and it goes further. You're, you don't make enough money, you can't do anything. Or you make too much money, you know, you, you, you're this education or this. We, we, all these limitations. He's literally saying that David is too young. I, I, I've been going to Haiti now for a bunch of years. We haven't gone in the last two or three years, but I met a young man down there when we were in Haiti. I believe he was a high school student. And one of the things I was so impressed with this kid, um, we were on a missions trip and, and, and he would, on Saturdays, he would travel five hours. He would walk five hours to this, this far remote tribe of people in, in Haiti, this group of people in this village that never heard about Jesus. Five hours he would walk. I think it was 15, 14, 13 years old, whatever it was. He'd, 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 he'd walk, 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 walk. And everybody would make fun. Remember all the, when he would come back to the, the camp, all the kids would make fun. All the other kids, like, oh, the preacher's out there, blah, blah, blah. You know what? For, for the first several months, there was no conversions. But I remember going back about six months later, and they had a, they had a hundred people in a church that he started. A high school kid started this church, and hundreds of people were coming to know Christ. No, no age limitation. It didn't make a difference how old he was. I remember when I was first getting in, into ministry, um, I was 16 or 17 years old, and I asked the pastor, I said, is there anything, and I was thinking preach, but he was thinking something else. I said, is there anything I can do in the church? I really feel called to ministry. Is there anything I do? And he goes, yeah, you can, um, you can clean the bathrooms. You know what I did? 
Those were the cleanest bathrooms you have ever, ever, ever seen. You could eat off of everything but the toilet. I was not good at cleaning that. I remember him saying one day, when you grow up, look at me now. How about this one? God's, God can't use me. I'm, I'm too old. Retirement. I'm, I'm retiring. I got a friend that's sitting in this room right now that I have the utmost respect for because he's working on his, I don't know, fifth or sixth occupation. And he's back in ministry again. And he's helping us do counseling. It's easy just to walk away. I don't know that we ever retire, do we? Do we ever read, like, I don't read, like, I don't see in Scripture anywhere where, where, where God says, okay, you're sitting at, like, you may, you may retire from vocation, but you never retire from mission. You, you never retire from what God wants you to do. That's what calling is. You're never too young. You're never too old. You're never too poor. You're never too uneducated to make a difference. Gosh, I want to say this so bad. And somebody needs to hear it in this room. You never outlive your usefulness. Never. To the day you die, you never outlive your usefulness. Let me give you the third thing that God doesn't see, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up right here. God doesn't see a lack of potential in you either. He doesn't see you as unnecessary. He doesn't see you with limitations. And he doesn't see you with no potential at all. Then he said, and he asked, are these all the sons you have? No, they're still the youngest one, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields. You know what he was saying right there? His own father was saying he's just a shepherd. They didn't know or see the possibilities or his potential. They didn't see his courage or his leadership skills. They, they couldn't have guessed that in the very near, near future, David would boldly stand. They didn't see any of that. They didn't know that David would lead a mighty band of warriors through victory after victory after victory. They didn't know that David would be uh, govern his people with the hand of God on him. All they knew about David was he was out there tending sheep. Do, 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 you, do, do you remember what God called David? A man after his own heart. You know, I think that dilemma is in the church. It's the justa dilemma. I am just a teacher. I can't be used by God. I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I work, I, welcome to Walmart. That's, that's my, I'm just a Walmart greeter. I, I'm just a, how many times have I heard this? I'm just a housewife or I'm just a whatever. You know what? We have to stop saying we're just a. Because with God, when God's on our side, we have unlimited possibilities and unlimited potential through what Jesus wants to do in every one of us. But we have the just a dilemma. We got to break that. We got to figure that out. See, God doesn't look at the lack of possibilities in you. He sees you according to your unlimited potential and your unlimited possibilities. So we've talked for the last 25 minutes about this concept of what God doesn't see in you. So the question is, what does God see in you then? He doesn't see you as unnecessary. He doesn't see you as having limit, limitations. He, he doesn't care if you're young or old. He doesn't see you limited by your current job description or your lack of ability. Or He doesn't see any of that. He says, but the Lord said, and it's right back in verse 7 again. Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? What's that word say? Say it with me heart. He looks at our hearts. Do you know what he sees? 
He sees your heart and your passion for him and for people. That's what he sees. He doesn't see the other things. He doesn't see you as just a shepherd or just a person working out at a, in a secular. He sees you as unlimited possibilities. He sees you a heart for his people and a heart for him. He sees your possibilities. He's put you on this earth for this time and this purpose. I was thinking about the story of Esther. That one line, for you were created for such a time as this. You know what? Every person in this room can say that same thing. That you were created for such a time as this. That God has put you around people in, in, in certain community groups so you can lead them, so you can tell them about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in, our, in your life. He sees your potential. Not who you are, but who you can become. He sees your value. You have so much value that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so you would be back in fellowship with him, that I would be back in fellowship with him. The world may judge you according to your looks, according to how much money you have, according to your status, a thousand other things, but God doesn't look at those. You know what he really looks at? Your heart. So today, how's your heart? Is it, le is it leaning toward him? A couple weeks ago, I had to go to the doctor and the doctor told me that he was a little concerned about something with my heart. And apparently, at 58, they start getting worried about things like that. And so they wanted to run all kinds of tests. And one of the tests came back, and it was fine. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm going to live, hopefully, 20 more years. My wife cannot get rid of me that quick. But they said that there's a slight calcium buildup around one of my, around one of my whatever they are, valves. Slights. On a scale of 1 to 200, it's 16 slight but you know something you know what happens in a lot of our lives not so much this heart but the heart that God looks at the real heart we get a calcium buildup. we start having those limitations we start thinking we're unnecessary we start thinking we have no potential and all of a sudden so some of us in this room we need a heart checkup don't we and so the, the question is with all of this this name image and likeness do you understand that you're in the you're made in his image. You're made in his, his, his likeness. You have his name now. The name above any other name. And the Bible says it's the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue confess to. That's the name that's on our lives. But, you, but do you understand how much potential you have? That God wants to do something spectacular in you. I love the way the story ends. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled them with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from, from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, music and you will soon be well again. He says, all right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons. You know which one it is? That little shepherd boy from Bethlehem, his talented harp player. Man, he wears it out. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Paul's, uh, Saul sent his messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. And Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat 
a donkey loaded with bread, and wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. That little shepherd boy that nobody saw potential in is now the second in command, the king, and eventually will become the king. That's what God wants to do in us. But I love that line, he became a servant. One of the things that I'm learning in my life, I wanna be a great leader, I really do. I wanna be a great pastor, I really, really do. I wanna be a great dad and all the other things. But you know what I'm finding out? What God wants me to be is a great servant, a great servant. And I do that by loving him unconditionally. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, I pray your Holy Spirit would now saturate this room after your word has been spoken and we've sang songs, God, that in this moment right now that you would be curing that cement that's in our hearts, God that we would be checking our hearts out, God. That if there's a calcium deposit or maybe an anger deposit or resent, resentfulness deposit or, 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 or you know, countless, whatever, God, that would, you, would you help us? God, at the end of the day, we wanna be more and more like you. Your son, Jesus, the name, the image, and the likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.